welcome to episode number 134 of the Better Yet Podcast. I'm Tim Crisp, your host. Better Yet is a long-form interview podcast featuring musicians talking about influence, talking about writing, and talking about being around. Oh, oh, those drums, that pounding. Before the chorus, oh my god, Janet, no one could ever take your place. Still mourning and feeling it heavy this week, revisiting the interview we've got on deck for you all this week. Shazad Jawani of Grays is on the show, talking the new Grays record. Age hasn't spoiled you. Sleater, Kenny, a lot more. Had fun with my dude, a fun interview for you all today let me take the gum out of my mouth today today the day of airing of course jay's birthday my beautiful loving very funny partner very lucky to have such an incredible person in my life to share a home and my days with she has filled this new apartment with plants and has filled my days with joy happy birthday to you and we have an announcement in the world of better yet we are now on spotify you can follow the podcast on spotify and it will keep you up to date with the latest episodes we of course are still on apple podcasts and stitcher we've reached that point where the backlog only goes so far in those players but all episodes of this podcast are available on our bandcamp page betteryetpodcast.bandcamp.com and on the website, betteryetpod.com, wishing not only Jay a happy birthday, but a happy three-week anniversary to all of God's money. Our compilation and tribute to Wilco's Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. It's been out for three weeks now, and it is inching its way towards $2,500 in revenue generated on behalf of the AIDS Foundation of Chicago. It is available for download over on Bandcamp, betteryetpodcast.bandcamp.com for a $5 or more download. We recreated Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. And by we, I mean Laura Stevenson, Rat Boys, Bethlehem Steel, Mikey Erg, Slow Mass, and more. 13 fantastic covers for a $5 download. Proceeds benefiting AIDS Foundation of Chicago. Go on over to Bandcamp and get yourself a copy. Mikey Erg dropped a very good record on Friday. Still one of the best songwriters on the planet. And Bethlehem Steel announced a new record and dropped a very good video. And on an even better song, Bad Girl. It's weird and I like it, especially as the first single. Looking forward to that LP. Our friends are doing cool things, especially our friends at Gold Flake Paint. Our friend Tom Johnson has sponsored the last few episodes of the show to help get the word out about his physical journal. Tom has moved his creation, one of the music community's best websites, into a physical form. I'll give you behind the scenes perspective as we wrap this sponsorship up this will be the last week gold flake paint is sponsoring us i didn't ask tom for money i think he's putting 
a lot on the line doing a print form, and I respect that. I just asked in exchange for it some copies of the magazine, and the thing is beautiful. It's a really stunning piece of work. It feels like Tom's work on the website and a nice physical representation, something to have on the coffee table, take with you on the train, and it just feels like you're taking part in a conversation. It reads so well. Tom, one of the great advantages of him being in a place like Glasgow is that he gets access to all sorts of people. Mitski, Sharon Van Etten, Big Thief, Jamila Woods, Lucy Dacus, Connor Oberst and Phoebe Bridgers, Laura Stevenson, David Bazan, Charlie Bliss, The Mountain Goats, so much more. It's available online and in selected stores. There will be four issues of a music journal released through 2019 available to buy as a standalone copy, or as a full subscription. For more information, head to goldflakepaint.co.uk or the Goldflake Paint Bandcamp store, goldflakepaint.bandcamp.com slash merch. Use the discount code BetterYetPod for 10% off any order. That's BetterYetPod, all one word. I didn't make any money off of that. It's true. We don't count on ads to sponsor the cause over here, but we have a way for you to support the show, and that's through our Patreon, patreon.com slash Podcast. Patreon is a way for you to help support the show by pledging a monthly amount in exchange for bonus audio content, as well as postcards. We've even got a coffee subscription program. You can receive a bag of coffee roasted by me each month. The value there, well over the retail price. On the audio front, this week, we got a playlist made special for us by Shazad. And next week's interview is already up there now. Go check it out over at patreon.com slash podcast. Also, this is something that I've seen other podcasts do. We'll try it here. If you'd rather not sign up for something monthly, I'm on Venmo. It's at TimCrisp94. If you'd like to throw some money towards the cause but don't want to commit to a monthly thing, you can find me on Venmo. All right. My guest this week, Shazad Jawani of Grays. Shazad and the Grays boys and I go back a bit. I met them in 2012 on one of their first tours. We played a show together. They were unbelievably sweet people. They were friends of Marcus Nuccio and Jeff Schatz of the Please and Thank Yous. And we've kind of kept on ever since and back then they'd only put out a seven inch or two but at this point we're on lp number three an outstanding record called age hasn't spoiled you a record which is far from where they were back then Grays was coming out swinging they were loud fast acerbic and over the course of time have evolved even made a few hard deliberate shifts bringing us to Age Hasn't Spoiled You, a heady, drony record. Their strangest and maybe their best. Grays, if you've been following, have been one of the most captivating bands in guitar music this decade. And Shazad, like Jeremy Baum a couple weeks ago, is a dude who loves music, loves discographies, and thinks about them and his bands. And it's a conversation that I've been looking forward to for quite a while. You'll find out how long soon enough so let's get to it. But we'll start with a song. This is These Things Happen, followed by my interview with Shazad Jawani.
been nice during push-ups. Yeah. And yeah. Then you, you stayed at Marcus and D's, and you had the whole place to yourself, right? Yes. Yeah, they let us stay there. Am I on? Are we recording? Are we oh, rolling? yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Okay. I won't say anything off color. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, they were generous enough to give us their... Um, their place which is pretty wild yeah i believe they did that so who nice. how do you decide who gets the bet how does that work it's usually out? whoever drove the most uh-huh um well, that's a pretty good system yeah we're that's pretty we're pretty about egalitarian it. about everything uh-huh uh, in general so well that's good yeah um i gotta tell you i had it i had it all planned out and i got right on the top of my notes here I got one of two options. One of them says, I watched Heat. I knew that was coming. And the other one said, I did not watch Heat. <laughs> and I have to tell you, I had every intention. It's a big investment of time, man. It's like three hours. It is. Yeah, it's like Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah, which I've also, which is another one that I've never seen. You know what? Yeah. I remember seeing it in high school right. when I'm like, Okay, this is high on the movie list. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I was like, okay, that was long. <laughs> yeah, totally. I saw it in the theater last year. Oh, big projection. A... Yeah, yeah, phenomenal. They were playing it at uh, at the Royal in Toronto as well, and I did not go. And I, or no, was it TIFF? Well, whatever. They're playing it as well, and I wanted to go, but I was like, I don't know if I could sit in the theater for three hours long. But you know what? I think it's actually harder to watch a longer movie at home. Because you're so much more aware of the time, whereas in the theater, you're like, it's blacked out. You can't really look at your phone. I'm here. Yeah, you're immersed. And you don't see, like, you, you know, if you're watching on DVD, if you still do that, you know, mm. you go, go a little retro. <laughs> our, our chip reader at, at work was broken yesterday. And I was like, I was like, oh, that chip reader is broken. I got to I gotta swipe your card. And the person's like, oh, old school. I'm like, yeah, totally. So, yeah. Right. Rub, put it right next to my boom box. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of funny what people consider like retro at this point. Yeah. Uh, but that is, well, I also, I was going to say like going to a theater kind of is, right? Like, and there's, there's the biggest theater in Toronto is closing and I'm really bummed. And it's like a total, it's just a normal, like big ass, you know, 20 screen uh -huh. multiplex kind of thing. But it's like, we've all been going there for like 20 years or something. Yeah, sure. Maybe a little bit less, but it's like the one and it's closing and i'm like i guess people are just not going to movies like it's it's suffering the same way that music is although to a much lesser degree because there's still you know it's a billion dollar industry and music just right. isn't at this point but um it is funny when you go to a movie and you're because you go so much less often these days because everyone has these amazing systems at home and everyone's really into streaming stuff and doing it at your own pace but when you go you're just like this is the way to watch it's stuff. the best it's the best and I it always, sounds ridiculous like, to even have to say that but right it is. but i'm always there and i'm always like oh i gotta do this more often yeah and then, totally. then I don't. and then i don't and even when it's movies that you love you know yes. like i went to go see and i'm happy that i did it i went to go see the scott walker documentary um which i'd only seen once many years ago but i was so happy that i did because like as I do more production stuff, I find it uh, that I'm really into just loud, being near loud, pristine sounding stuff. Like they were yes. playing 2001 at the Lightbox. I'll see that anytime. It's it was the there. best. Yeah. It was incredible. Or like Blade Runner was at the Cinesphere, so it was just like huge. Mm -hmm. And that's like my favorite movie. But even the Scott Walker thing, I was like, this is a music documentary. Of course you want to see it like loud, you know, like his big booming voice like all the songs sounded so cool and right 
it was he's incredible. Somebody, he's somebody I never, I never got into. I, and oh, I think he he sits in that sphere of like I just don't know where to start. Yeah, it, it's it's a weird one. There's no one really like him. I would say like I think Scott Four and Scott Three are perfect records. Scott Four is like one of my all time favorite things yeah. ever. Uh, we're all pretty obsessed with him in the band actually. But yeah, that record is super special. But then there's his avant garde stuff, which is just wild. Like Tilt is a record that like there's nothing like it. There's mm-hmm. nothing else. That sounds like that. Watch the doc. It's really good. Yeah. It's really, really no, cool. No, like the, the docs uh, can be really helpful. I think Leonard Cohen, what, seeing that one was mm-hmm. just like, oh, cool. I, like I knew that I like this guy for reasons that I don't even know yet. Yeah, and yeah, here yeah. it is. Here sure. it's all laid out for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so where did you grow up? You grew up in Toronto, right? Yeah, born and raised. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, your folks still there? Yep. Same house? Uh, my mom has lived in the same place since... Actually, for 21 years in Scarborough, and my dad lives, I guess he's been in that neighborhood for also almost 20 years. So, oh, okay. Yeah, it's so been a while. Did they split when you were young? Yeah, they were on and off for a long time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, then, you got siblings? Yep, yeah, I have an older brother. He's eight and a half years older than me. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So well, you came along. And... Yes. Uh-huh. Screwed the whole thing <laughs> up, yeah. We were really close when we were growing up. For the big age gap, but yeah. Yeah. Like, close how? He's Because he, he's kind of in the... I'm, I think eight and a half years older than my brother. Oh, okay. And it's like sometimes I talk to him and I'm like, fucking, I sound like your uncle. Right. And I hate yeah. that. But no, he kinda... he was, well, it was kind of weird. I'd like, I think about this a lot now, like looking back where like he, I feel like it was that in between where he was like, especially at that age, like the difference between four and 12, you know what I yeah, mean? Like he right. might as well have been a Centuries. 20 year old. Yeah. And he was uh, very, he was like pretty mature for his age. He lo- He was always a big dude, you know, he was like. He looked mature. He looked like he was 20 when he was, like, 13. Uh-huh. But we were really, especially around the time I turned, like, 9 or 10, we became especially close. Like, we had the, like, sibling kind of thing, yeah. you know, as we did. But he is the reason that I got into so much of the music that I love. Right. Um, like He's he, feeding you. Oh, yeah. Just he was just a, He was a pretty early adopter of a lot of cool stuff. Like, he got into Wu-Tang, like, right when they came out. And oh, wow. So all the hip-hop stuff that I love is because of him. Like, I yeah. never would have gotten into that. There's no way. Like, I mean, it was it was popular enough. Like, it was on TV, but he was really, really into that stuff. He also got, went to start going to raves really young. So he was into, like, all sorts of techno stuff when he was a kid, which I got into and then on my like actually this is so funny that this is what's sticking out because the hot rocks record by the stones my dad showed me that when i was like three yeah and it totally changed my life so i was like so those three things you know like weird wow. noises from electronic music and hip-hop and then rock music i feel like that is pretty much the reason that i like all the stuff and that, that I like i i go back and forth and i, I i'm just going i'm amidst a battle between uh my friend scott and i he loves Led Zeppelin. Mm-hmm. I don't give a fuck about I Led, hate Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin. And I realize yeah. the reason I don't is because I <clears throat> love The Woods by Slater Kenny so much. Oh, man. And it's just a One Led Zeppelin old... record. Oh, for sure. You know what's so funny? Yeah, I wouldn't have picked up on that until I remember like reading she... about it a little bit later. She said in her book, like, we just watch Freaks and Geeks and listen to Led Zeppelin. Yeah, and I was like, right. that makes sense. Totally. And Janet Weiss's drumming is so yep. clearly Bonham Huge. inspired. And the freaking, it's like, I mean, Corinne always sang like that, but yeah. she's really channeling Oh, she really that. goes for it. Like, The Woods is my favorite Slater Kinney record. I, that's one of my all-time favorite records. Mine like, too. I, it's yeah. so perfect. Like, yeah. I, that was the record that got me into them. And literally right after that, they broke up. I remember working yeah. at a record store when it came out and just being like, what the fuck? Like, nothing sounds like that. Like, it was just so blown out. It was, it was so, it's so funny, like, I find it really interesting, or I don't know how to articulate it properly, but, like, 
Carrie Brownstein is easily one of my like top guitar influences, always yeah. has been. And like there's songs on the first record, there's like a song that we one thousand percent just rip off of uh it's jumpers. It's like one hundred percent like Is like, that lull? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm pretty open about uh that and I always thought it was weird where like but we would never get Asleep, like that would never come into play, right. even though they're like a huge influence on my guitar playing and like Janet Weiss is a huge influence on like whenever if I'm ever writing drum parts or whatever but it never comes up because I feel like people will never co- you'll never compare like th- the opposing genders or whatever like it's I find it really bizarre like it's yeah, like Bikini Kill is a huge right. huge huge influence on me uh-huh. but we would never get compared to that even though it's like punky and grungy even though like, yeah if it's if it's in the reverse it's like yeah yeah taken from this yes it's, but, but right. and in the reverse it would be like you know they could only be compared to like the slits or something like sure that. you know what i mean like it's, i find uh-huh. that really i always find that really strange. right because there's only the, you know there's only these like five you know uh mostly women yes. bands that exist so yeah. they have to be ripping off exactly yeah yeah it's people, like carrie, right. yeah carrie branson can never be inspired by like richard lloyd or, or tom verlaine or whatever totally but like yeah it doesn't i always find that kind of strange but yeah no the woods is huge huge huge, huge. unbelievable record yeah but so good. it's like like it, 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 that kind of—I feel like the Stones are are one of those bands too. And we, you know, we had a little fun with with David last week about that was more about, you guys. I know, I, feel, I know, but we, I still thought it was kind of fun. He, we sorted it out. We had <laughs> we had some other things to talk about. Hi, David. I like you very much. I love David, and uh, and I still do. Um, but the Stones, I think, are are one of the bands that of that crop. You find them and you're getting the best of a lot of things. Oh, absolutely. You know, I, it's like the Beatles. Think... It's like, all right, sure. I mean, but... I love the Beatles, but like the Stones, I think are when people think of rock and roll, that's what they think about. You know, like that's mm-hmm. he's the archetype. Mick Jagger's the archetype. Like Rick Froberg, for example, like to me sounds exactly like Mick Jagger. Like he's just doing that. I was just saying yesterday to a friend of mine that. Jumpin' Jack Flash was my first favorite song and continues to be my favorite song of all time. And I'm like, there's you can find aspects of that tune in so many things that, you know, yeah. down the line. Um, and it's like their influences are just so well, like, welded into everything that they do. It's mm-hmm. like you see where, all right, now they really got into, like, this, like, country thing. Yeah. But it just inserts itself so seamlessly. Yeah, it's them. Mm-hmm. It's very much them, yeah. And they kind of picked, like... It's very natural, too, because, like, right in the early days, like, Keith's playing, clearly influenced by other stuff, but, like, he has his own feel. Yeah. No one plays guitar like that in the whole world, and no one sings like Mick Jagger. Right. You know, like, nobody, I mean, people sound like that, but nobody, and certainly back then, you know, nobody did that. It was just, he's just shouting, you know, and it's just, but it's still so melodic. It's, like, it's so wild to consider how abrasive he was. Oh, absolutely. Like, when you listen to, there was a while uh, where I was, like, kind of taken with how, in, in your face satisfaction is or how body like honky tonk women is or how intense street fighting man is like those he's shouting uh-huh. like it's not like the Beatles at all like they have their moments I guess but like it's so abrasive especially for back then like you could tell why people were like pretty yeah pretty freaked out by it. and also pretty androgynous like super glammy you know he was doing all that stuff like you know you wouldn't have Iggy Pop or David Bowie or Mark Boland, if not for absolutely, Jack, you know, absolutely. I think that I, yeah, I think the Stones get like derided, which is kind of fair because the last like forty years, right? Been sure, kind yeah, of terrible, you just but, grow like, up with this. Yeah, they uh-huh. have one of the best runs of records of all time, like the Mick Taylor era 
is just so incredible. Unbelievable. But yeah, Zeppelin never cared for. Yeah. yeah. I like Soundgarden. <laughs> so, They're my Led Zeppelin. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so so I guess as you're as you're getting older a little bit, um, your brother's showing you the stuff. It seems like he, um, he has a pretty good understanding because of the problem that I had with my brother with showing him music is mm-hmm. that I I didn't understand like the importance of gateways because right. obviously I had my own gateways sure. that bring me into you know the the nether world of sure. things, but. Like I guess, um, in terms of the music that you make with Grays, I guess, and we should divide it into like the earliest era, the beginning of Grays, like mm-hmm. uh, you know Fugazi and things like that. When like when does that come into your? Oh, world? like my uh, vocabulary. Yeah. Um, that was my own stuff. So I got into. My brother moved away to university uh, when I was like twelve. I love you, Canadians, and go to university. <laughs> right? Yeah, college and university are different things in Canada. Uh huh. Um, and he only moved away for the year, but I feel like that was also the time. Well, actually, maybe even before that. Like, I was really into, like, my brother was into all sorts of stuff, but I got like, even the records that he liked, I would just become more obsessed with them. Like, I would just get into it, and I uh-huh. would learn about it more like not to say that i knew more about it than him but i would just like obsess over them even you're when the I was a young you're kid. the you're the one that finds everything that you can about kind of yeah, yeah like even when i was younger and i like like i remember he had infamous by mob deep and mm-hmm. i don't even know if he necessarily listened to it that much but i listened to it and like became really i got super into it or like i would get into these like weird deep cuts i was like yo this song's really cool and i would end up showing him stuff sometimes from that uh-huh. young age didn't happen overnight or anything like that but yeah he obviously taught me how to do that you remember that band art brute yeah they got this song my little brother just discovered rock and yeah, roll. yeah 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 and that line about he made me a mixtape and it has no a sides only bootlegs and b sides <laughs> It's like cool. I'm glad that that exists. Right. I don't need anything else. Right. Me, right. But I don't know if it that. went to that extent when I was like nine or ten, uh-huh. but, but eventually it did. So like, you know, when he moved away, that was also the beginning of like Napster and stuff. Right. And back then, music videos were still such huge currency. So around the time I was t- like eleven, ten, eleven, twelve, that was I was watching this show called The Wedge, which would have been similar to like. 120 minutes. Is that on Much Music? It was on Much Music, yeah. yeah. So The Wedge was incredible. It was hosted by Sookie and Lee, who was like my favorite VJ. She was super cool uh, and into like, like the only, you know, she interviewed Mike D, uh, who was there for Grand Royal reasons. And he the, he played like uh, at the drive in. You know? uh-huh. This is when I was 13, yeah. right? When Relationship Command came out. But even before that, like, the reason that I know knew about like Beck and Bjork and even like Jesus Lizard and stuff like that, like that was all much music, you know, like if it wasn't Wedge, it was Beavis and Butthead or mm-hmm. whatever. And I was just watching it all the time, all the time, Blur and all the bands that I'm you know, still into. That was like, that's like classic rock to me. It was so eye opening. Yeah. So I'd say, you know, because of that into my teen years, uh, it just kind of happened naturally, like, you know get into the deftones when you're like 12 or 13 and then from the because of them doing interviews and you know i obviously listen to like corn and slipknot and all that stuff right but it was that time yeah, yeah it was that time but that deftone shit holds up i think so. and they Co- took you know quicksand on tour yeah they took quicksand on tour dudes on on like in the band now collis really loves deftones hi collis yeah. um so they you know reading interviews with bands over my teen years just kind of invariably got to you know let's say like yeah at the drive-in when i'm 13 and, and refused and all that stuff and they like nation of ulysses and then they you know yeah. discord and all that kind of stuff it just kind of worked backwards so by the time i was like 
17, 18, it was like, like all Drive Like Jehu, all Steve Albini records, right. all Jesus Lizard. But funny enough, Fugazi was, I got into much, like I got into them when I was like later in my teens. That's probably f- for the best. I think so I think, too. Because a lot of so those too. are really hard to digest. It, You know, a lot of people say that, I guess, like, yeah, they kind of are, but I just, I remember buying Repeater when I was 14 and yeah. I didn't fucking get it You know, at Repeater's all. actually my least favorite Fugazi record. I think uh, yeah, that, that mine is, too. I don't really get why, it, like, I it has their like some really monumental songs but i actually think steady diet is the better record like it has like it's just more consistent of a listen sounds like garbage but, yeah yeah um no i remember like yeah so probably when i was like 18 i remember getting the argument and just putting it on and it was walking i remember the exact day it was like snowing outside it was very quiet in my neighborhood and just immediately being like oh i'm gonna like this a lot yeah <laughs> so probably around that time and then Were you playing by then uh like playing music yeah, yeah oh yeah, yeah yeah i started playing guitar when i was like 13 and played drums when i was 14 but i only and i played in bands kind of but by the time i was 19 i was playing uh-huh. in bands in toronto uh i played drums in this kind of like mathy pop thing sure um and then but like you know the discord like you and not you dismemberment oh, yeah, yeah. plan that was like big for my group of friends back then that's q and not you records oh they're great they're so they've like they're pretty they're pretty dated, but they had a lot of weird ideas. Like I don't that, get why that like renaissance hasn't happened. Oh, I'm sure the, it will. Right. I'm sure it will. I was actually talking. It was funny. Me and my my roommate were DJing, and we were playing like the first Liars record or like the Rapture and stuff yeah. like that. And it's kind of funny, like some of that dance punk stuff, or like Chick Chick Chick. Mm-hmm. Um, and Graham, who mixed our record, just did a Chick 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 record. Um, oh really? Yeah, and they're coming out with a new one, and I'm like, I feel like it could come back. Like I feel like. I'm just kind of over going to see a band and not being able to like move around to it yep. in some way. Like I just want to do something more upbeat. Yeah. That yeah. might come from making a really brainy record for a year. And you like... went into that hole and now you got to get out of it. <laughs> gotta have, of I got to go do a stage dive or something. <laughs> so, so you, and you've known Cam since high school, right? Yeah. Me and Cam went to high school together. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then how does, how does Gray start to happen? Were you and Cam making music before? Yeah, kind of like I so me and Cam, our mutual best buddy, Jeremy, who is his like childhood best friend, me and him were always tossed the idea around of like doing bands. And I would always like we'd talk all day on like MSN. We were like into Hydrahead stuff, MSN. you know, uh-huh, and we yeah. were really into Hydrahead stuff, which was a huge influence on like me getting into like Unwound, for example, like Cave In, Converge and all yeah. that stuff um, or like Harkonnen. And Cam got into that stuff, too. And I always thought, you know, I would start a band with Jeremy, but he was like, no, you should play with Cam. He's like a really good guitar player. And we just like immediately got along and yeah. always talked about doing band stuff. And I had done, so by, when I was like 18 or 19, I like wrote two albums worth of tunes that was like Blood Brothers meets like Queens of the Stone Age. No shit. <laughs> it was like awful. But it uh-huh. was like, I was always trying to do this something. It was like, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Uh-huh. It was awful. It was terrible. But uh yeah cam and i just got along really well and he was always just down and that, that sounds like him he's always yeah, just, just down. always down yeah he's the best dude ever oh, he's a freaking be- you i have to say like i i guess i should i'm probably going to contextualize this at the opening of this okay. of this episode but um you and i go back a bit oh yeah and first tour yeah was that your first tour I think so. Like we met marcus so i've known marcus longer than i've known colin you know like we, oh wow yeah like yeah. we've 
been friends like literally when we met him that was the first tour that we ever did we met jeff and marcus and they we just immediately became friends yeah and i'm pretty sure we would have met you on if not that same tour then one right after that because i think i think drift was out yeah oh drift was a little bit further i think we we may have met before that at narnia it was definitely at narnia for sure um and and you were i went back and you were supposed to be episode number five of this program oh my god what episode is it at uh we're in the 130s so that one was excusable because you were sick is okay. what I said. And right, then right. I hit the uh, stop button. But that <laughs> uh, doesn't happen often. I do remember that. Well, we were talking about health stuff. And back then, yeah, 2012, 2013 and into. A this was like later. 2015, 16. Yeah, it yeah. was pretty bad. Like I got. I, yeah, I was, I was like pretty terrible. I've remember, always had Yeah, I remember you were stuff. you were you would come over and it was like, all right, we got to we got to like kind of make something that Shazad can eat. Yeah. And... Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. Right. Yeah. yeah we, Cause I was like, I had a super intense like diet back then because I wasn't on the medication that I'm on now. So yeah, I had to be like, like that. Yeah. 2013. I remember there was a couple days we would stay at Nate Dion's place in Philly and we had a day off and like everyone else would just the be best. like out partying and I would just be like on the couch. Right. His girlfriend just gave me a bunch of Vicodin and I was uh-huh. just like, yeah, it was, it was not fun. Terrible. I mean, yeah. It was not the most fun, but I mean, you know, we still did it. Uh-huh. I still really wanted to. That's yeah. a tough spot to be in too, because I mean, I, as someone who's had like chronic pain shit, you you get to the point where it's just like, damn, I'm just a real drag on this entire enterprise yeah. that we got going here. Yeah. But I mean, the guys were always so wonderful about that. Like they've never, they always like showed up. You know, like they, yeah. were, I literally would never be able to do anything without them. Like it was so. We're so tight. Like, it just feels... it. Yeah, they totally saved my life just by being yeah. so wonderful. And, like, they would pick up whatever slack. And, like, whenever I was in, like, a low mood, they would just kind of give me space and understand when I was... That's amazing. moody jerk. Because, yeah, it's, like, it's, it's, a, it's a fucking good crew yeah. that you have. Yeah, and yeah I was it's really like, special. Um, talking to talking to Jamie, my girlfriend, I was like, oh, Shasad's coming over. He's in the band Grays. And she's like, oh, those guys at the wedding, right? And I was like, yeah. And they they were having the best time, and they all look good in their suits. <laughs> so you got Cam uh, high school days, and then and then how does how did Braden and Colin come in? So Braden, I met uh, just playing in bands, and we kind of hit it off immediately. There's a picture actually of I think the first time we ever met, and we're just talking, and this is like going back ten years. So we were talking about like. I don't know, botch or something. Oh. And we were like, I was like, oh yeah, I used to love that band. And he was like, yeah, Dillinger Escape Plan. And he's like a drummer. So he was like, yeah, Chris Penny fucking rules. Right. And there's a picture and I'm in the picture. I think I'm wearing a white zombie t-shirt. Mm-hmm. So it's very special to me just for that reason. <laughs> um, yeah, no, we just hit it off. And then when I started this band with Cam, we were looking for a drummer and I asked him because he was in another band. And I was like, yo, do you know anybody who's like looking for a band? He's like, yo, I'll do it. Yeah. And I was like, okay, cool. And he, it took like 20 different tries because he was going through some stuff. So it was hard to nail him down. But he showed up. He knew every single song front to back. Uh-huh. He's the best human being I've ever met in my life. <laughs> and we just immediately hit it off. And I'll never forget, we were driving in his pickup truck that he had at the time. And I think he was listening to These Arms Are Snakes, uh-huh. who I used to love, of course. Yeah. And uh, there was just like the breakdown in one of the songs on that first EP. And we both just like air drum to it. It was just funny. It was just immediate, <laughs> immediate connection. And, and then, and and then Colin, Colin comes around. Colin came to a show that we played at, at this place called The Garage, which is where the label, uh, our old label that I used to work for, Buzz, 
was started and that like kind of like was a pretty big epicenter for like the scene that we would eventually become a part of right. which we I guess always were a part of because we played there in our early days and he came to that show and then he used to come into the record store I worked at all the time and we would just talk about you know whatever we were into swell maps or whatever and then I found out he lived across the street from me because we would see each other biking around all the time and I was like what the fuck like this is so weird and then yeah, same deal. We just needed a bass player. We had like seven different guys being in and out in the in and out of the band. Um, Damn. And I was just randomly, I was like, you know what? Like, do you play bass? And he just happened to graduate from jazz school for oh. fucking playing bass. So <laughs> it worked out. And then we went on a tour together, and we just all were like, we love this person, and we and it's been the same ever since. So and we all love each other. So you're going on tour already? Or are we are we past? Ultra Sorta, or are we into like easy oh, listening? Oh yeah, no. The... This he joined after we had made easy listening, but like right off the bat, I had this. So it's kind of weird to think about now. So this is like we started the band at the beginning of the decade, right? Uh-huh. So it was a lot different then, you know. Like a streaming was not a thing, right? Uh, B the type of music that we were playing was not in any way in vogue. Like that whole '90s revival, quote unquote, that would like happen over the next few years was not happening. Interesting. Like that was, yeah. And in Toronto. I'm sure Chicago is like this to a degree, but Chicago is like a noise rock, mathy town, you know, like that's where a lot of this stuff comes from, you know, you have touch and go and all this and AMREP is close by. So it's not like that. Toronto has a history of that stuff, but the bands were so under the radar that would Mm -hmm. do that kind of stuff. So So, are you playing with those bands that are under the radar at that time? No, because they didn't exist. Well, that's funny, I think, because I'm looking at at that time and I'm thinking that Toronto's actually like kind of hot for that stuff it, is, is it, a, it a few years later is way it like, later okay way later so Mets when we, comes and it's like well Mets were the only so okay so we always get compared to Mets but like back then they didn't sound the way that they do now they sounded like young widows okay so it was way yeah. darker and way more like drawn out and we never we've literally to this day never played with them like it's like they're mm-hmm. a little bit older than we are they're pals but they're a little bit older than we are and there was never overlap as yeah. far as I knew like like we never Really played the same shows. Uh, but, okay, so back then, it was all indie pop stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, that was it. When we started right. our band, it was like, Toronto was just that. It was like... Just doing, like, blog rock shit. Yeah. yeah. It was, and mm-hmm. I was like, we, like I can I can say with, like, some certainty that, like, the bands that came out of our scene, like Us, Hooded Fang, Soup Cans, Teen Anger, like, I, it felt like a real response to that. Like, these were a lot of, like, noisy, in-your-face bands. Yeah like the Beverly's and all this stuff. Like, I feel like that was a total response to just like 2000s indie pop, which, you know, broken social scene come from Toronto. Right. And crafts is based in Toronto and Montreal's right there. You have the arcade fire and stuff. Every fucking band sounded like that. And I hated it. Like, Uh even at the time I was like, what the fuck? I hate this shit. Like, why are there 17 members on stage? Why are four of them playing a floor Tom? Like, it was just lame, (laughs) you know, like it was so toothless. I hated that shit. So when we started our band, we, you know, the genesis of it was like 2010, but we didn't really become a band until Braden joined. So it was mm-hmm. the beginning of 2011. There was nowhere to play for that kind of stuff. Like there was nowhere. So that's why when we played at the garage, it was like, as soon as I got there, I was like, yo, they're playing Piss Jeans and the Wu-Tang Clan. I like these people. Right. I get it. You know, me and Denim and Jude all got along immediately. Going to shows there was a lot of fun. It's literally a garage. Like picture Narnia, way scuzzier in the middle of Chinatown. And it was just awesome. The first show we played, there were a ton of people there, and people were stoked on it. Like mm-hmm. people, it, and we were like a lot more punky and like hardcore oriented than a lot of those bands. Right, we had become different, but at the beginning, it was very Jesus Lizard, Fugazi, but also 
like maybe a bit of quicksand or helmet you know it was chunky yeah in a way that uh that like was not happening like there were no bands that were doing that not not to say that we were like pioneers or anything like that i just mean like the shit that we were into was not in vogue and it would become in vogue over the next couple of years but even then not even really with bands from toronto altogether it was like you had bands like room runner and speedy ortiz happening Mm -hmm. and then in toronto you had yeah like the bevs um odonis odonis but like they were also different like it's this weird thing where like everybody's kind of finding that and coming up with it yeah yeah i'm sure that everybody you know i'm sure sadie's responding to that same shit for sure for sure and like when i've talked to i've talked to her a bunch about that like just being into like helium and all that kind of stuff like it wasn't it wasn't just a cool thing it was like no we wanted to make it wasn't just we wanted to do that it was like, no, we want to carry this forward because we feel like bands just stopped doing that, certainly in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I loved that era, like from 2011 till about 2015 or 16. Like, of what was going on? It was in so your town? special. Yeah. It was really special. Like, mm-hmm. it was really cool. And uh, like, we put together this comp for the in utero anniversary. I think it was like the 20th or 25th anniversary. And it was a bunch, all Toronto bands covering the record. And they were all, like, different and all so cool and all, like, doing a different take on this grungy, loud, abrasive record. And to yeah. me, it was like, this is awesome. Like, this is what I always wanted to be a part of. Yeah. Um, so you ever... Man, I... Albini was supposed to come here. He'll, he'll be here soon. Oh, cool. But I got the mix of the his, you know, 20th anniversary mix. Holy oh, sweet. shit, that... Sh- oh, yeah, it's totally... It's, it's so next level. in yeah. your face. It's really in your face. It's what also, song did you do? We did, you know, I feel like we did the worst one on the comp, but <laughs> we did Scentless Apprentice, and I yeah. wish, in in almost immediately after, I was like, why didn't we do this slower? Like, we should have done it like a Melvin's tune. Yeah. But, uh, oh man, they were all so good. Like, the the version of, uh, there was this band Ostrich Tuning from Toronto, who I loved. They were like Velvet Underground, Sonic Youth, like super noisy, super psych, Spaceman 3 kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And they did a co- the cover of Rape Me, which is the only song on that record I don't like. Yeah. And their version is incredible. It's yeah. so dark. It's so, like, opiated. It's incredible. <sighs> and every every song is really good. Like, Teen Anger did um, Very Ape. It's really cool. Yeah, it's it was just a special time. Yeah, I don't think that's, that's a, I don't think that the scene's totally gone. Like there's still tons of amazing bands in the city. Uh huh. But it it was a special time specifically for like noisy guitar bands. Yeah, and it was really cool. And I feel like I feel like what you're doing, you know, you talk about how it's a little bit more Jesus Lizard oriented and a little bit more hardcore. But going back to easy listening and drift, it feels pretty well figured out. Like you have it in line with kind of where you go yeah with if anything yeah i'd say so i'd say like there's three distinct i guess eras Mm -hmm. of the band now that it's like you know end of a decade i can kind of look back at it where it's like the first few eps and if anything that's like us figuring out how to be a band yeah and be the band that we want to be and by the time we're at if anything it's like okay yeah we have our influences on our sleeves but they're kind of coming together mm-hmm. like people would <laughs> right you okay. sound like you sound like these like four things but you've been playing together long enough to where it sounds like you it yeah it's like great yeah I, I can say that in retrospect i think now i can say that fairly confidently yeah i still like I, I can't go back to that stuff like it's just so why i just it's very <laughs> feel very young uh-huh when i listen to it i'm like oh man we're really like it's really scrappy, but I also think like that's what we were that's what we were doing. You know, like, that's it, who we were. Back it's then. funny because you know you say scrappy, and I think that a lot of the scrappiness is in the 
presentation that you have lyrically mm-hmm. and with um you know the way that you're singing like you have this real antagonistic nature that you're you're up there like kind of ready to pick a fight with anybody yeah did you i i'm always interested in that as this is going to sound weird but as a wrestling fan <laughs> okay because yeah. the Shout idea out to Tom Avis. right the idea of building a character in wrestling and if a lot of people say it's just a, a part of you that you're just turning the volume up did did you feel like kind of like you were channeling something and then making that especially on if anything you know a song like chick singer it's like all right i mean i've always i've always been really sarcastic so i think that comes out in like basically any of the records that we do mm-hmm. and i've always i don't i don't know it's hard to say like it just kind of came very naturally and also back then like i was in a bad place you know like there were a lot of like i was going through a lot of like physical and mental health stuff and things were just you got a lot of anger yeah i was an angry guy and like i think i still am to a degree but like i don't think i think at that point i was just like i'm pissed off about this and Mm -hmm. you listen to my if you listen to my voice back then it's like i'm literally like shredding yeah my voice and i'm just going for it which is something that i just don't want to do at this point Uh uh-huh and I want to channel it in a way that, like, is a little bit more productive. I yeah, guess. of course, of course. You're um, older now. Yeah. And that was, mm-hmm. you know, that record came out, like, five years ago, and we were writing it during, over the course of 2013, which, as I was saying, was, like, a super dark year. You know, like, I had, like, a bad breakup, which was totally my fault, uh, drug <laughs> problem, uh, health problems. Is it is it the, the painkillers? Yep. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty bad. So it's I was like, fucking addictive shit. Yeah, which is kind of funny, though, because if you listen to that record, it does not sound like it was on Painkillers. Like, no, it's so not fast. at all. <laughs> it's so abrasive. And well, it's you like, got a song called Adderall, and yeah. it's like, yeah, <laughs> this, is, uh, this is a song that uh, reminds me of taking Adderall. It's it's mm-hmm. it's fast. Yeah. You know? And I was just like, I was just angry all the time. So, I don't know, the, the combative nature, yeah, it came very naturally to me, but it, I tried to do it with a sense of humor. Like, cause I always totally. thought that, I always thought hardcore front people were so obnoxious and so like it's just so cheesy to me. Uh huh. Like, if you're doing that, you're basically like playing some sort of character, and I could right. Never... It's kind of the gimmick, right? Yeah, it's a total gimmick. And, and that, I like, just listen I... to those Gorilla Biscuit songs, and right. it's like, yeah, stage dives do make right. me feel more alive, buddy. <laughs> For sure. And that, and I, I obviously I loved all those records, and like I love I fucking love like Negative Approach and mm-hmm. Bad Brains. I love all that shit, and that comes through like. You know, as much as we love Hot Snakes and Jesus Lizard and all that stuff back then, I also think that a big part of my guitar playing came from uh, X or Wire and stuff like that, like 70s punk stuff. Like, it was just very... Or, uh-huh. or, or Black Flag or whatever. Sure. And vocally... Yeah, because it's like, it, like, listening to those records, it's like so... It's almost difficult to kind of identify yeah. where you're stroking. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Well, you mean our records or their records? Your records. Oh, thank you. Well, I fucking hate this new mic stand. I keep hitting it. Sorry. <laughs> Um, well, th- thank you. That's cool. Like we were really trying to do like my thing was if a kid picked up a guitar and tried to play our songs, I would want them to be somewhat challenged by it. You know? uh-huh. like, me and Cam were very like very nerdy with our approach and on if anything, we really just wanted it to stand up to the records that we liked. And when people, you know, people would always compare us and be like, it's like Nirvana mixed with Fugazi. And I'm like, those bands have nothing in common. Like, uh-huh. when you think of it, it's like we're trying to bridge those two things. Not that I think it's this, like, big, you know, 
tough thing to do or anything right. like that. But at it's the not time, this massive equation. But yeah, right. yeah, yeah. I didn't think it was like that brainy. But to me, I was like, well, yeah, but like the you know, there's grungy stuff, but there's also all this discordy Jehu kind of shit. And we were trying to do something different with it. You know, like mm-hmm. as much as we loved all those bands, we also really loved like the Swirlies and Polvo and uh, so obviously Polvo Sonic Youth. Like, shit, yeah, Polvo's yeah. amazing. They're like one of my favorite all time favorite bands. Or Sleater Kinney. You know, like there was a lot of other stuff that we tried to kind of like throw in. One thing that know. one thing about if anything too is listening to it as a first record is you really managed to capture that chaos that you were trying to find there. It's like especially early on in a recording life, it's always gonna sound muted compared to the way it comes off live. Sure. But you managed to do it. I mean it's fast and you've just got so much noise going on there. I noticed that you worked with Mike Roca and Josh Karoti, who also did Drift, right? Yeah, and Josh is like Josh is my best friend, and was uh, that helpful to have like two people who knew what you were doing? Because oh yeah. I think being a studio band is kind of one of those like it's sort of like magic. Oh, for sure, they balanced each. At that point, they balanced each other out. So we worked with Mike on basically everything up to Outer Heaven. Mm-hmm. And Mike's also one of our best friends, and he was just around in some capacity for all those records. I don't think he had anything to do. He might have mastered Drift or something. Uh, but he had him and Josh had hands. Josh, in. yeah, Josh recorded Drift, and then I got he did, he did Mike, Mike's got a credit on there too. So. Yeah, so so Josh did Ultra Sorta in my dad's basement, and I recorded the vocals with Mike. Uh-huh. Uh, Mike did Easy Listening. Josh was recording his studio at the time. Recording his studio. Building his studio at the time, Candle. Uh, so he wasn't on that one. And then we did drift just with him, and I think Mike mastered it. And then we were just like, we need, you know, we love both these guys. They get what we're going for, and um, it just made a lot of sense. You know, we just like yeah. pulled up in the studio there, and it was super nice to have them both balance each other out. Because Mike is very much like a, he doesn't work with a lot of punk bands, uh-huh. and uh, he's such a like he's into so much different stuff and he pushes him, him showing me all the, like the only reason that I can produce other bands is because of Mike and Josh to a degree. But Mike really showed me a lot of like arrangement stuff. You know, he like taught me how to like be a better musician in so Mm -hmm. many different ways. And Josh being so close with me, we like, like a lot of the same stuff. We appreciate a lot of the same stuff, but he's a bit older. He's been doing that stuff for so long. He showed me all this, all these different things. So that record was pretty special to just work with both of them. And it's, it's, Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, you know, being our first record, we were fairly precious about it. But he actually brought up recently, I I didn't remember this, but we're working with this band from Toronto right now who's doing their first record, uh, this band Bike Thieves. And the record's awesome. You'd really like it. Um, mm. And they're, you know, we're doing all these overdubs and stuff. It's a very layered record. And Josh pointed out, he's like, you know, for your first record, you usually want to people want to throw in the whole kitchen sink or whatever, but really you should keep it simple. And he pointed out, he's like, yeah, when we did, if anything, he was saying that I was very adamant about it being, I don't remember this, but I was apparently very adamant about it being a very like four guys in a room record. Mm -hmm. And I think that was really important was to take a snapshot of what the band would sound like live. Cause we basically did everything up up to and including outer heaven. Like we just did it live off the floor for Mm -hmm. the most part. And we existed as a live band predominantly. We toured all the time, and that was important because, you know, you listen to those Hot Snakes records, and it just sounds like four guys in the room. Right. And we did, like, guitar overdubs up the ass, but, like, it was still very, like, 
in the room making the feet you know it all sounds like it's it's part of a big room yeah it's it's not like you listen to it on headphones and there's you know six different guitars and one is just playing one note the whole time yeah yeah we weren't making like an oasis record right right (laughs) it has to help too i think because i'm also looking at this record and and looking at where you went and finding these pieces kind of along the way and you know going back to drift and seeing a song like pill and then seeing i hate to be an actress and then we talked about well having people like that who you're able to kind of share a a vernacular with where Mm -hmm. you have a song like low which is different than anything else on that record preceding it but you're able to manage to provide something that really really benefits the track and makes it stand out oh thanks wow thank you yeah i mean is it is it i guess it's something that is I guess frustrating at times as as someone who really likes guitar music and really wants to see people taking a lot of chances and I really like what you're doing here currently. Oh, thanks. And the 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 way that you get there, I think is is fascinating to me because it's not easy to push yourself in that way. Um well, it also takes time, right? Like, I don't think that we could have, I think it was, it might have even been you. It, someone kind of pointed out that it was like, it doesn't, in a way, it doesn't feel like the same band um, on the new record compared to the old stuff. But to me, and this was something that we always talked about, um, even in the early days, like when we were doing the first EPs, me and Cam and Colin and Brayden, we all just kind of really looked up to bands that had arcs. You know, there's two types of bands, at least with indie rock stuff. There's a band where their first record is just incredible and they either break up or can never top that. And that's a thing that's very common in punk music. Or there's bands like Unwound or Sleater Kinney or Fugazi or Sonic Youth or The Fall or Bad Seeds where they have these like... Incline where it's got peaks and Yeah, and it has all these crazy like Mm -hmm. ups and downs and they get to try all these different things. But I think Unwound and Fugazi specifically... um, and Sleater Kinney, those three bands have very similar trajectories to me. They all have these records that start, like their last records and their first records are these bookends, but you could see in between how they got there. <laughs> wow, that is quite a snort. Damn, girl. Um, it's funny that you, like I did a, a thing over on our Patreon, patreon.com slash podcast. I did top, I think it was top 25 of the aughts and unwound fugazi sleater kenny sleater kenny obviously came back but those exclamation point those records records are just so like if you could i mean it's i can't even explain how mind-blowing those three the last records by each of those bands were for me like just completely blew the doors off in so many different ways like Mm -hmm. leaves turn inside you to this day completely like completely shattered my imagination and so that was the kind of arc that we look to to have but i don't think any of those bands or our band like you wouldn't have known how to do that if the preceding record hadn't happened you know like you wouldn't have leaves without um challenges you wouldn't have that without repetition you wouldn't have the woods without uh one beat you wouldn't have that without all hands on the bad one you know like and i really 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 love those trajectories and i think that's really special so and albums are just snapshots of where you're at, right? Mm-hmm. And like you're playing to the edge of your ability 
at that time. And I don't think that, and that's why it's, you know, I look back and I look at if I were to listen to, cause I have to listen to them to remember how to play the song. Sure. <laughs> if I listen to songs on, if anything, it's, it's just not where we're at anymore. You know what I mean? So it feels a uh-huh. little bit like looking at an old picture of yourself. Yeah. But I also appreciate that like, yeah, we couldn't have done that if not for this. You know, right. We couldn't have made warm shadow without outer heaven. You know, we couldn't have done any of that stuff. So it's all progressive. And I think that that is something I'm kind of, I couldn't say it's intentional. It's just how it happened. Right. But, you know, looking back now that it's been, you know, eight years, it's like, oh, yeah, I guess we kind of it, it's a very different place. We're in a very different place. Yeah. And I mean, certainly we'll we'll get into Outer Heaven and, and Warm Shadow, kind of how they influence each other. But um, one thing that I really wanted to talk to you about with Outer Heaven, it's you, we, we talked about the antagonistic nature of of if anything. And then right. it, it's funny listening to something like complaint rock where you're just being antagonistic with yourself yeah. and i think that a lot of that record <laughs> yeah. is is you wrestling with I- intimacy and and you know vulnerability and how your own vulnerability can affect other people that is a really interesting way of looking at it uh i definitely wasn't thinking about it like that at the time it was like complaint wrongs, like boo hoo. I got feelings, but then sorcerer yeah. is just like, I am such a bummer that I'm just gonna suck all the life out. Yeah, of it. yeah, yeah. That's oh. pretty pretty accurate about where I was at. <laughs> does that yeah. come from being in pain, or is that is that more of a an yeah kind thing? of like uh, Outer Heaven was real special. Like that year, we did so fucking much that year. It was very uh, very productive creatively. Um, you know, we did, if anything, and I feel like, especially me and Colin, no, all of us, but like, especially me and Colin, we're just like, let's just not do that anymore. Let's totally change our approach. And me and Cam were like, I like, how can we relearn how to play guitar? And if you listen to the stuff on, if anything, and then listen to the stuff on Outer Heaven, the approach to guitar playing is very different. Absolutely. Very, very, very different. Yeah. And we're not, I can hear every stroke. On- yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like that, oh, that was, that. that's Mike, you know, mm-hmm. that we did it at Hotel de Tango in Montreal. We just stayed in Montreal. We were there for two straight weeks. We did Repulsion there too. Um, the EP, which was like kind of, so like I said, the, the three eras, the early stuff up to, if anything, feels like band figuring out how to do stuff. Mm-hmm. But the Montreal days, uh-huh. like the Repulsion, oh, Outer sure. Heaven, like and Warm Shadow. David Bowie in Berlin. Right. <laughs> Grays in Montreal. Sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't say that for the record. <laughs> I would literally never, ever, ever say that. But at the same time, it was just like, yeah, we're in a different place. We want to do different things. And like, yeah, it's still like a punk band. It's still grungy and all this stuff. Yeah. But uh, it's like the, the, you can feel the approach being so different because if anything, it's like one, two, hit you over it's the head. Just, it doesn't stop. It's really relentless. Josh even told me back then, and I think this is still true, where he was like, it is literally the most abrasive record he has had to work on. Like, the guitars are so bright. They're so in your face. And we were just like, how about we just don't do that? <laughs> like, uh-huh. let's change the way we play. Let's change the approach. I changed my singing approach. Like, we just did everything that we would normally do. We would do the opposite, you yeah. know? And, like, even just, like, certain moves that we would rely on and, like, even certain fills that Braden would play. If he would normally play that, we would just be like, no, do something different. Like, do the wow. opposite thing. So vocally and lyrically... Yeah, it is a reaction to that. I feel like every time a band makes a record, every time you make a record, you're going to do the opposite of what you did. Or at least that's my approach. That's always been like naturally it just kind of happens where I'm like, well, we did this. So let's just do something different. 
And with repulsion, we kind of st- st- stuck our toes in the water. And then Outer Heaven, we really dove in. And uh, those were the records where we got lost in the woods and we were kind of stoked on it. Mm-hmm. And I say the warm shadow is where we kind of just like built a cabin in the woods. We were like, we're right. staying here. Like, this is cool. So anyway, to go back to what you're saying about the lyrics, uh, the time in my personal life, yeah, it was like super tumultuous. Like I'd broken up with my partner of two years who I was so over the moon in love with. And it was just this impasse that we couldn't get through, you know, mm-hmm. and it was very... It was very heavy. Um, I was in like really bad shape physically. And I didn't really want to rely. I didn't want to go back and just like do drugs. And I was like, okay, well, what else is there? Like, how can I like confront this? And um, so it was a lot of self-reflection, but it wasn't as self-absorbed as the first record. And I uh-huh. think a lot of what goes on on Outer Heaven, especially, it's very topical. And right. that was the first, like, it's always, it's always kind of topical with whatever I'm writing about. But like Outer Heaven was like, very outward looking right very much so and like dealing with like the fact that like i don't like these aspects of myself you know and Mm -hmm. i don't know how to reconcile that you know like one of the only breakup songs i think i've ever written is on that record and it's like it's it was weird it was weird to be vulnerable and it's not even necessarily me sharing the feelings but talking about the feelings themselves Mm -hmm. and like trying to come to terms with what it is that is going on in my mind and in my life and all this stuff and in the world and like how can i feel okay feeling the way that i do when there's all this other stuff going on that is so much more important and right. so much more earth shattering how does that difficulty does it play into writing a song like no star difficulty with what in in regards <sighs> expressing to the feeling and putting it out there Oh my God, with that song specifically, like so much, it was so, it was so many different things. It was so many conflicting emotions and feelings like, uh, so the, they're very easy way. And, and, you know, I, yeah, the songs are a weird one for me because at the time, I don't even think that I was necessarily able to articulate what it was about as clearly as I can now, maybe. Mm-hmm. And the song's kind of taken, we haven't played it in a long time, but like it's taken on a different life for me because it's sort of that whole year was like this thing that kept coming up. And every time the initial explanation that I gave, which was like, yeah, it was inspired by those shootings in Paris. Mm -hmm. Um, And the aftermath of that. Yeah. Initially it was inspired by that, but like, I don't think I realized this at the time, but like you write these tunes and the lines mean different things. Like that each line kind of means like a bunch of different things, which is something I consciously did on the new record. But back then I don't think I necessarily knew I was doing that. At uh-huh. least not not consciously. So when I look back on it, yeah, it's re- reconciling like a ton of different things. Like that was the first time that I really started to think about like identity politics and my own place within the community that I was from and like how I was like an other there. But then a trip to Karachi for a wedding, I was also an other there, you know, and it's like mm-hmm. a diaspora thing. And it's really tough to come to terms with. It's really tough to reconcile. Right. Um so that opposing, uh, those opposing thoughts and feelings that were going on at the time, of course, played a huge factor in that. Like that's it's, that to me is what at this point that's what the song is about. It's about not really having any sort of like you don't know where you stand. Like I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what my identity was. I didn't know why people were out to get me, just for being the who I look like. You right, know? like right. It was a very, it was really weird to me. It just felt like a 
weird protest song, but not even necessarily like a political protest song, but like a personal protest song. You know? Totally. It's in like that way. opens it up. And then, I mean, do you find yourself kind of looking back and realizing like, hmm, I'm a person of color in a punk scene. So right. naturally, I'm, you know, one of a few. I'm already kind of, yeah, I don't really know a whole lot of like people who look like me doing the right. thing that I do. But I didn't you, have that. you're not necessarily conscious of that no. until you are. And then it's, a, is it going back, figuring it out? It's a different lens. Uh-huh. You're given yeah. a different lens to look through things, and then you, it's difficult not to see things through that lens after that, uh, which I think was very eye-opening. Well, I mean, like very much so. Right, very sure. Very, it definitely changed my approach to a lot of things, consciously or unconsciously. And that song was just kind of, yeah, just kind of stayed with us that whole year, you know? Like, it became, like, sort of the signature tune. It opens the record. Mm-hmm. And it opened that, like, that was the first single and stuff. People just wanted to talk about I mean, it. Like, that it year, came, It too, happened over right? and over again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did was, you get sick of talking about it? A little. Yeah. Yeah. It was, like, people were really nice about it. Like, everybody that did the interviews was really great. But it was just, like, every... I wouldn't say that there was any pressure. I'm happy to talk about it. And I'm happy to be, you know, contribute my feelings on the, the whole... Like, my experience. Right. And I'm happy to articulate those things but it's very important to remember like i am just one person and this i remember talking with amar from big ups about this like another Mm -hmm. you know brown guitar player in a noisy punk band and he had he even grew up like close to where i grew up and we have such different experiences and we're like yeah you can't really talk to one person and like get a sense of like what this is like so i always thought it was like i don't think it was intentional but it did feel a little bit tokenizing or something uh, where people just like wanted to, me to talk about it as if it's like, well, we're we've checked this off the list, you know what I mean? Like, and we can go to, and now we could talk to like Absolutely. a girl in a band about that. And right. I'm sure that, and every every female identifying f- a person in a band has had to deal with that shit too. Where it's just like, is that the only thing you want to talk about? Right. Like, yeah. Am I just this thing? Uh-huh. Am I just this like one dimensional version for you to, not you, but like for people to like easily compartmentalize and tokenize and like understand in that way mm-hmm. no like i there's obviously like i don't think of myself as like a brown man in a punk band it's just like i'm a guy in a band like that's it i've never thought about it as anything other than that so it was weird to kind of like constantly have that dialogue i mean it was you know we consciously chose that single and i remember being like okay if we do this this is totally going to be the narrative but at the same time, who else is doing it? You know, like who else sure. was like yeah. who else was having that conversation? So to me, it was like it was annoying for after a while. But it was also like, well, I think that it's certainly more interesting than a bunch of white dudes talking about drinking and partying. Totally. Which is, you know, that like bands like that can get fucked. And I think that if you're singing about that stuff, it's really boring. So I, I was like, if I'm going to do it. Like, you know, I have to stand behind it and I, you know, I can't complain that people want to talk about the thing that I'm writing about. Right. So. <laughs> it was, it was, it was, yeah, it was a weird one. It was a weird one that I didn't really understand until later. I think. Yeah. I think that that's kind of, that's a nice thing to have to kind of go back on and, and understand it and yeah, it's, have it as a document. For too. sure. It was, it's, it's weird to have a song kind of take new life after you've written it. Right. You know? Yeah. And, uh. People really connected with that song, which is really, really cool. But That's good. It was definitely like this like big out like thing. This like sure. looming thing over that whole like campaign, I guess. So you referred to Warm Shadow as, as the cabin 
yeah. record. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so when you, were you doing that record while you were doing Outer Heaven or like it doesn't it's not like Outer Heaven is 10 songs out of the 20 and Warm Shadow no. is the other. No, 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 uh-huh. no. I, it's I mean, it was conceived while we were doing Outer Heaven, because we did all these tape drones, these like ambient uh, loops. Yeah. And that were just coming from like me and Colin recording stuff on our phones. And then he would like bounce that to his tape machine while we were doing other stuff. You he's know? a wizard. He's a total wizard for sure. And he, he like really gets into that and he's so good at it. And so we would just like, you know, me and him would make like a synth drone or like him and Cam would be messing around on whatever piano or whatever and because uh, hotel is so inspiring that way we were just there again like eight hours a day two weeks straight and so all we were there to do was make music so can while... i ask you like is is that is that a canada thing you're because i know that you, you you're all of your records thank the country of canada oh and yeah the, the help, i mean because I mean, it's like two weeks in a studio is what everybody should get sure yeah i mean we were fortunate enough uh, for our records to be fun, like get grants for them. Uh huh. Um, so that's why it says that. Uh, and it's super fortunate. There's right. literally no way we it's could have amazing. done that. There's yeah, literally yeah, yeah. no way we could have done that otherwise. You know, like we, it still cost us money. Like we had to get like an Airbnb and all that stuff. But yeah, no, it was like a total luxury, mm-hmm. total luxury. And uh, I'd never made a record like that before. You know, we would always just have to do it in like weekends or do it all in like four days right you know, do like 15 songs in like four days or something like that or at, at best so that was like we really just wanted to lean into it we're like we haven't done this before we've never we've always wanted to do something in a different city so i think we made the best of it you know we came out with like totally. a record and a half and uh it didn't come up that it was going to be a whole record but we did think like we should release an ep of these drones because they're really cool and we really like listening to them it was very meditative uh-huh and we just wanted to push it. You know, we wanted to be like, well, we're a punk band, but we're doing this stuff too because this is what we like. You know, we listen to, I don't know, fucking Bazinski and Brian Eno and Harold mm-hmm. Budd and all that stuff. Like, that's what we like. It's a very genuine thing because that's where we're at. That's where we're what we're into as artists. It's not like you went down the friggin', you know, modernist, uh, you know, post-1950 hole. No. It's like, oh, cool, I can do that. Yeah, yeah, but it was, it was like... It was like an I can do that thing where we were like, well, why can't we do that? We listen uh-huh. to this type of music. If we if that's how we started our band where we're like, well, we like. Right. But I, my point is that it's not like you listen to half of disintegration tapes mm-hmm. or loops or whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, I get it. No, I it, was, it was more song oriented. Right. Think. Yeah. We still like at the end of the day, we were just like, no, we're trying to like create a very specific mood. So we were doing that, you know, with the EP or wanting to do an EP like that. And then what had kind of happened by accident, like after Outer Heaven was done, we had these like five or six ambient pieces. And then our friend Ian, who runs a studio called Union, we had booked some time there to do something completely different. And we had to cancel, but he was like, well, you still have the days. You want to just come in and do stuff? And I was like, okay, like, why not? And I borrowed an amp from my friend Mike. And I just happened to write like four or five songs in like a few days. I was just messing around. And I was like, okay, like, why don't we just go in and do these? So we just went in for two or three days and like banged them out. And I think, again, you know, doing things the opposite way. We were, at, we were so immersed in it for Outer Heaven. And for the Warm Shadow stuff, we just went in and we're like, okay, let's try this. Like, mm-hmm. Whatever. We're just messing around. Like, oh, here's this like synth drone. Like he had this prophet at the studio so we, or a Voyager and he, we messed with that. And like, um, 
I came in with like this bass line and I was like, Colin, why don't you do something like this? And then it was like really bashy drums. And I was like, that turned into fresh hell. And I wrote this really kind of sad tune about my grandmother. And I was like, maybe we could really fuzz it out and make it like this. And that became minus time. And, or like this random drum loop that I chopped up of what Braden was playing. Like he just played a few different beats that became Trish K, which was like a riff from another thing. Like, it just kind of happened by accident. It was just us fucking around. Yeah. And then that's probably collectively our favorite record that we've ever done. I fucking love it, dude. Thanks. thanks. Was it helpful to have it, I guess, in mind? Because I remember talking to you when you were touring Outer Heaven, and you are like, we got all of this stuff. Yeah. And, and then you put it out six months later, and you, know, you liken it to Untitled, Unmastered, yeah. which... I don't know if you were thinking about this before I mentioned it, but I mentioned it to you. So I'm going to take credit for the idea sure. on the air right now. That was mine. <laughs> but I also Jack thought it was that. like Weird Era by Deer Hunter because I was obsessed with Deer Hunter when we did those records. We'll talk same, after because I, I I know that I would like Deer Hunter. I just oh I, yeah yeah oh they're the best. Um, uh, but yeah no sure I'll, I'll give him credit for that. But putting a out. thank you. Um, <laughs> yell at you. Um, he has a gun pointed at me. Please help me. <laughs> it's a paper mate. Um, putting it out the way that you do, where it's not quite the pressure of yeah. here's you know a record and here's one single and a second. It's just like here it is. Yeah, this is what we've been working on. Sure. Yeah. Like is that help? Piece. Is that helpful? I guess because it's it's like the pressure's off a little bit. Here it is, and if if people don't get it, people don't get it. I think that was maybe a bit intentional because I thought we were like, okay, I don't think people are gonna like. This. Well, uh-huh. I certainly didn't think that like people who got into our band for Outer Heaven, which is it is very much a rock record, and it's very much like it's very like pristine sounding or whatever. Not just like not to uh-huh. pick ourselves up. I just mean it's very clear. It sounds There's a lot of so clarity on that. Clear. Yeah, yeah. And that, that was something that we were. I'm really stoked on. You know, I think Mike did like we like we really he really nailed it on that one, and. um which is kind of funny because it's all live off the floor into tape, you know, but it's yeah. still so like, uh-huh. yeah. Um, but then conversely, Warm Shadow is like, there are similarities to it. That's why we're like, they, you know, the genesis of them kind of came from the same place. But I totally get why somebody who heard Outer Heaven and then heard that wouldn't necessarily like it. However, what I like about it now is that I think it's totally contextualized by the new record. Yes. Know? I think it makes yeah. a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Because it very much is like that's where we were trying to go. And I think that's, at the end of the day, that's like that sort of on the horizon when we started. That's where we'd always wanted to go. And I think yeah. you can kind of hear that even on like Ultra Sordo and there's like droney big guitars at the end. Like it's still like kind of amb- like it's got this weird ambient feel to it, like oddly enough. One of the things that we were talking about. Because when when Age Hasn't Spoiled You came out, you know, you and I were kind of going back and forth a lot because one of the things that I really took to was the fact that, to me, at the core, it's not completely dissimilar from anything that you were doing eight years ago. Mm-hmm. But the reason that it works is that it's not like you're making loud guitar music and then you're saying, okay, what if I tried to do this but... I'll use a synth instead Mm -hmm. because that's going to reflect the fact that this comes from a guitar. It's like, it seems like your bass is completely different for a lot of these songs that you have on HS and spoiled. Like the literal bass guitar or like the bass, the foundation, the foundation. Um, 
You know what's funny is like there are there's a ton of synth stuff, but it's actually like it's still a lot of guitar and bass textures, uh-huh. and that's also something that we were very conscious of. Where I was like, I do like synth stuff, obviously, but a lot of the textures are actually like straight up feedback. Like a lot of it is like bass and guitar drone that we did, and that was really conscious because I'm like, I want this to, I still want it to be a guitar band. You know, at the right. end of the day, the, the so. The foundation changed, not necessarily in the instrumentation, but our approach to our own instrumentation, like how we were going to process that and Uh how we were supposed to put that together and still sound like the same band. You know, like I still, at the end of the day, um, I just wanted to recontextualize what a rock band could sound like our our type of rock band, like what our band sounds like. You know, like I don't want to say like we wanted to change the game or anything like that. It was just like, I don't know, like I haven't heard bands do that kind of stuff really so i was just curious what it would sound like it was really just like us experimenting and be like oh that sounds cool like why don't we put this feedback through this sampler mm-hmm. you know like why like so a lot of the stuff that people think is synth stuff it's actually guitars we just made them sound weird so like the bottom of like shelly Duvall. first of all you gotta put it on the record it's the best song title thank you it's come out in the last 25 Thanks. years it was it was up to <laughs> that's such a distinct thank you it's a huge distinction uh <laughs> God. It was that it was either the... that it was Go either ahead. that or uh, I also had one called uh, Dennis Wilson and Tulane Blacktop. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be on the next record. Boy, let's watch Three Women when sure. when uh, when this is over. We should just put ourselves in the darkest darkest place. headspace. Yeah. Um. So that's that's guitar feeding back. Or, you know, yeah. you're creating that palette. Yeah, there's no synth on that. It's uh-huh. all, like, it's just, it, it took, oh, my God, it took a long fucking time. I remember it was on my birthday, and uh, me and Cam were, like, just, and it was hot that day, too. It was the hottest summer ever. And we were just sitting in front of the amps, like, take like doing all these, like, insane bends on the guitar. Like, our fingers were, like, bleeding. Mm-hmm. And funny enough, my girlfriend at the time had planned this like surprise birthday party for me, but we were doing it for so long. I didn't even get there till like 12. <laughs> and I was like, are you fucking kidding me? You had this... to look great, by the way, coming oh, from doing something like that. Just sweating and just so exhausted and tired. I'm like, I've literally just listened to shrieking noise for so long. And now I'm like, all of my friends are in my apartment. Like, I'm such an idiot. Why did I choose to do this? But yeah, no, like it was just like we wanted to make this like Glenn Branca e feedback orchestra that sounded the way that like the shining soundtrack would or like the the there will be blood score by johnny greenwood like we wanted it to sound like a string section and we didn't want to rely on synths you know they're there like not on that song but there are synths all over the record but they're not they're there to augment the guitars not replace the guitars right it's super nerdy but you know it is something that we took really seriously because that's the band that we are i wanted to push as far away from it but still be our band. I want it. To, I want it to be recognizable as us. How do you think that that center holds through so many shifts? Is it is it ever like? Do you ever feel like, you know, you're forcing yourselves along because the idea that you're telling each other when you're making out or having like, don't do that. You do that too much, and let's do this thing that just is not, you know nearly anything like resembling what we were doing two years ago how does that how does that happen where you know you have four consenting adults doing all of that together and not feeling like i don't 
I think it makes more sense now uh, in retrospect. Like I think that the new record really does make a lot of sense of all that stuff where it doesn't seem as weird when you have that end piece in mind. You know what I mean? Uh Uh-huh. I think that it's just, it's a matter of, yeah, knowing what the tones are that kind of keep it consistent, but that's not an intentional thing. Uh You know, I think that's just, that just comes from the fact that like these four people are the ones making the music. And these four people are the people playing on this. The same way that when you listen to certain jazz records, if you take a player out, changes the whole thing. Right. Completely changes the whole thing. And I really like the way that you have... This is something that is so bread and butter for Colin. But then you hear the way Braden plays drums on it. And mm-hmm. you can hear what you and Cam are doing differently throughout it. It's like, it. this is such a like kind of nerdy thing to just look into and and start from the beginning and see the certain spots like the changes that happen but Mm -hmm. also see where everybody exists throughout it and there's a consistency there i think in the playing yeah is there this is um a this isn't exactly the most commercially uh, viable thing for you to do i guess there's something that There's something that I find interesting about your band being a band that Stereo Gum really likes. Pitchfork always gives you quiet, very good reviews. And you look back and you can you can play second bill to any rock band. Um I guess do you think about do you think about where your band sits in that large frame do you think about the fact that you know this is who we are and this affords us a little bit of like space to kind of do something different because we can still go on tour with japan droids next year if they ask us to or Mm. whoever else um i know that there's a little bit of a you know the the subtext to that is the fact that you're you're not going to be selling out an arena. I'm sorry to no, no, I'm sorry mean, to let you. But that's down the thing. There. Like, I don't think that ever really factored. Like, we never thought about that. Like, that just never really factored into any decision making processes. Like, maybe it should have. Maybe we should have thought about being uh-huh. a bit more palatable. But it's also like, dude, we started our band in like 2011. Like, even at that point, there was no illusion about like ever making it our job or whatever. So the fact that we were able to tour and pay rent was like, that was. A yeah. dream. And we basically got to do that by the second year we were a band because we were touring so much and we just like we did everything ourselves. We knew how to do it, you know. So it was like, no, that never really factored in. And I don't really I don't really care. Like, it doesn't really matter to me. Like, that's not why any of us are making music. Yeah, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you so, made it. You made a record for me. And I really yeah, appreciate exactly. that. But it's like, I don't know, like that stuff shouldn't factor into anybody's decision making process. Like, it was just yeah. we like challenging ourselves and we like the sounds that we get out of the gear that we have you know what i mean like we like this that's why we started the band we're like we want to do this and contribute to the larger conversation that we thought was really interesting when we heard these bands for the first time and i think that now after we made this record i feel pretty confident where it's like okay well we i don't think anything really sounds like that like the one thing that i'm really confident about and it's really difficult for me to give myself a compliment, but I do think that it sounds fairly singular. Like a lot of people, a lot of the conversation was to do with like the influences, but it's like 
none of those influences have anything to do with each other the same right. way that Nirvana and Fugazi don't really have that much to do with each other. You know, it's finding this connective tissue between all of that. And I think that's where we've always existed. And I don't necessarily think it's a sum of its parts thing. I think that we've, we got to a place where it's like, I don't think that any four other people would have necessarily made this record, even if you gave them all of the ingredients. I don't think it would have come out that way. Yeah. And I'm really proud of that. That's, that's, that's something you should be proud of. Yeah, and I'm yeah. really, like, that's something where, like, when I when we finally finished it, and it took a long time, man. Like, it was a really arduous, arduous fucking recording process. You know, like, we were there, and I was in there for, like, a year. Wow. Like, I was in Graham's basement mixing for a long time. I was with Chris, like, working on these tunes, even after the guys were done, for a long time. Like, it was very, very arduous, and I don't necessarily want to make a record like that again. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm stoked on the way it sounds. Like, I don't know if the songs are good. Like, that's not necessarily up to me, but I think it sounds really cool. And I'm really into that. But, um, um, yeah, I don't know. That stuff never really factors in. Like, we didn't think when we even when we finished the record, I remember all of us just being like, man, nobody is going to like this. <laughs> like, no one's going to like it. No one's going to get it. And people are going to think we lost our fucking minds. But like it was it, you know, as much as it doesn't necessarily pay the bills, it was really cool for like pretty much every other day for like a month and a half we would wake up to like a really nice review and like a really thoughtful review and people coming out to the shows and the last six months of my life have been such fucking dog shit for so many different reasons but like that was nice you know to like have worked on this thing for a year and then people like come up to us at shows and have these really disparate totally far-reaching things to say about the same record or the same song like they're getting totally different things out of it and yeah we're not gonna play like a fucking arena but it's i always thought like when we started this band i remember thinking i was like man if we played to 10 people and one of them really likes it mm-hmm. i don't know that's cool none yeah. of the bands that i liked played arenas you know yeah. what i mean not 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 i obviously love uh-huh. the foo fighter no i'm just kidding i don't like the foo fighters <laughs> but um that yeah that never factored in and i always just thought it would be cool if people paid attention and got something out of it so it's always like that is super rewarding and if you take it in context like look at the bands that we grew up listening to like you know the jesus lizard weren't exactly the most famous band in the world either you know what i mean like they were also a super marginal band and if you took like if a band like that came out now they'd probably have the exact same trajectory you know Mm -hmm. like as as they're like play the same amount of people or whatever so yeah i don't know it's a weird thing that has nothing to do with me and i just like i think i realized that really early on where we were like we didn't really have any illusions about it which was why maybe why it was more liberating to just be like who cares like yeah it's like it's like all bets are off at this point yeah and it's also just like make the music that you want to make i have no idea how you could not at this point even bands that are like a little further along or whatever um you know you're still coming home and working at bars so at least like the thing that you care about the most is the thing that's going to exist forever. So do the thing that you want to do. Yeah. Like don't do the thing that you think other people might like, which you'd think is like that's day one shit for being in a band, but you would be surprised how often it's just like, oh yeah, but you know, the label doesn't like this song or they think that we should go with like more of these types of songs or like they don't like the songs that this guy sings, so we're going to get like this person to sing more of the songs. Like who the fuck cares? They're not in the band. They're not the ones who are going to have to perform this for like a year straight. Like, do what you want. Who the fuck cares? You're not coming home from your two-week tour and then hanging out in your freaking, 
you know, paid for studio yeah. apartment yeah. for the next four months yeah. off of this. Not at all. Like you're going to go back to work at that coffee shop. You're going to go back to do the thing. Like we all have to do shit. Like, like it just does not make any sense to me. How yeah. Could Th- not, and that, like... that's a, I think that's a really good perspective, especially too, when, you know, the kind of, I think collective of the past few years of, you know, every time we get to the end of a year of music, everyone's just like, what's going on with guitar music sure, right now? Yeah. And it's like, it's just this non-conversation. It's like so fucking lame people taking chances might benefit things so i think so like it just doesn't like it's so boring people are tired of it because there's this like classicist approach that i think is really detrimental to uh progression in any way and like i like i don't need to hear another band that sounds like weezer ever again like it's Mm -hmm. so done and it's so also to be quite honest it's really white it's very establishment like it's very it's establishment rock like if you are in a band that sounds like fucking ugh, i don't know i don't want to name like current bands and shit on them or anything like that i, I if, mean there's this there there's kind of this thing that david and i talk about pretty often where we've reached a point with music accessibility and culture where mm-hmm. it's like okay these four hardcore kids started a band and it just sounds like Nirvana. Sure. And people hear it and they're like, oh my God, that sounds just like Nirvana. I love and it. And it's this, <laughs> this you know, mutual validation thing where it's yeah. like you get the references and then you can ignore the fact that they're not it's really right in song. Yeah, totally. And I think that that's so boring. And I think that that's where, I don't think that all music is like that, but I definitely think that rock music is like that right now. And it's super boring. And yep. I don't understand. It's like, and you know what? You could make the argument that we we may have like done that too, but we actively tried to subvert that. We actively tried to like, yeah, okay, Fugazi didn't necessarily like, yeah, we took inspiration from that, but we're not just like doing what they did. And I think that there's this weird thing, especially with like even like all the bands that sound like C eighty six bands and stuff like that, like all the bands that sound like Felt or whatever, or all the things that sound like Mac DeMarco. It's like mm-hmm. you still have to write songs. Yeah, you know, it's like you can't just do a facsimile of a thing that already exists. Like that exists, and Mac DeMarco, like he writes those songs. That's him. You can tell because it's like that he is in that. You know, you can't just have a twinkly guitar part and just be like, oh, this will do. You know, it's lazy. It's fucking boring. And like, that's not, I'm not going to listen to that record in 10 years because who cares? There's no tunes. Whereas if you listen to something like Spirit of the Beehive or something, you know, just to think, to name, you know, everybody's favorite Uh (laughs) indie Uh rock band right now. But like, there's clearly so much of a vision there, you know, that's very singular. And I think that's really special. And like, that's, that's the level to which I think people should be aspiring to. In any era, in any era, like you should not like, why isn't, I remember talking to Mel and Neil from Casper Skulls about this, where it's like, why aren't bands trying to write like Kid A, you know, like why aren't bands trying to do that? Why are you just trying to settle for, well, this sounds like this. I did my job. Mm -hmm. That's not interesting. Let me write write lyrics about how I don't care. Yeah. And it's like, dude, apathy is not cool. That's not cool. It's It's 20, it's 2019, man. Like it's not interesting. And I think that. Okay, even with, like, the identity politics coming to the forefront, that's not interesting if your music still sounds like what's already come before you 30 times. Mm -hmm. Like, if I was a, like, I don't, again, like, to go back to this, like, my being a brown person does not excuse, like, wouldn't excuse the music being totally uh, middle-of-the-road indie pop. Right. It doesn't separate me 
as an artist just because I look a certain way. Like, I don't want to hear stuff that sounds like music that you can hear at a drugstore or like the grocery store or whatever simply because it's made by someone who looks slightly different than the white guy that would have made it five years ago. Yeah. You know, like mm-hmm. if it sounds like Jack Johnson, it sucks. If it sounds like fucking Matchbox 20, it sucks. Like, I'm Whoa, sorry. dude. <laughs> Whoa. Sorry. Be Is he from Chicago? Careful is Rob that. Thomas from dude, Chicago? I don't know. I don't think Rob Thomas is from like a place. <laughs> I think he. they just put they him there. They built him. They built him. They said, let your hair grow a little bit longer so it curls a little bit. <laughs> put that earring in. Perfect. Yeah. Here's four fucking number one singles. And they were right. Yeah. They were right to do it. And they're right to... Because, oh, yeah, at the end of the day, what the fuck do I know? Like, I'm just a fucking idiot. Like, I yeah, every time I'm like, oh, they should do stuff like this. Like, yeah, no one cares what I have to say. Like, literally no one cares. They're going to listen to the thing that they like. I And care. that's fine. You know? And that's totally mm-hmm. okay. And I'm kind of at this point now where I'm like, man, I'm 31 years old. I just want to do the stuff that I like with the people that I like doing it with. And I'm totally... Like, that's just... That's why anybody should do fucking anything. Hell yeah. world's going to end, man. It's true. Just chill out. I'm glad... I'm glad... You know, 100 and... 130 episodes in the... In the making. I'm glad I got you over here There's only part one. There's only part one. (laughs) I'm coming back, baby. Hell yeah. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. Hey, 129 episodes after that fifth one, and we finally did it. Oh, and so worth the wait. All kidding aside, Shazad, he's a good talker and he's good people. Having followed grades closely since before, if anything, seeing the growth and the transformations he and the boys have gone through and forced themselves into it's been a captivating ride one you appreciate they never take the easiest route creatively and they continue to navigate it age hasn't spoiled you one of my favorite records of the year encourage you to check it out online graze.bandcamp.com we did not have a chance to talk about golden drag shazad solo project pink sky the debut LP is available at goldendrag.bandcamp.com. Some familiar players pop up over there. Shout out Nate Dion. He and I go back even further than Shazad. Also, if you're enjoying some of the darker ambient happenings on Warm Shadow and Age Hasn't Spoiled You, Colin from Grace put a beautiful record out in May called Seance Works. You can find that at C.R. Gillespie, that's C-R-G-I-L-L-E-S-P-I-E dot bandcamp.com, our website, betteryetpod.com, follow us on Spotify, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, we're on Bandcamp, betteryetpodcast.bandcamp.com, 
all of God's money, our compilation in tribute to Wilco is up there on the front page. Get that $5 proceeds going to AIDS Foundation of Chicago. Patreon is patreon.com slash Podcast. Very cool playlist up there right now from Shazad. And this interview I did uh, last week with a guy. Uh, he plays he plays in kind of a legendary band. Now he was in another one that was pretty sick. Chicago Duties recorded some shit too. Uh, that whole thing is up there right now. Postcards, coffee, plenty more. Patreon.com slash Podcast. And thank you so much. Thank you, Chloe and Lily. Thanks to Shazad, Braden, Cam, Colin, sending y'all love. Man, the drums here sound good, don't they? And I know, I know, I said it, I said it before, but this time, it's already happened, and it's coming to you next week. Thanks, brothers.